Well, here we go. Trucker's friend number three. This is for the most recent YouTube, Wild Wild West YouTube video titled The Wild West Heyday. Yes, it was a heyday. It's been a hay season. Did you full blast? You know, heyday could have been kind of a play on words for the type of hay season it has been. Did you yeah. purposely do that? Yeah, yeah, because it's been so it's been so dreary and desperate the last three years. Yeah, that no. it was finally like a heyday. Do you know where that comes from? The term heyday. No, like do you? we're having a heyday. I don't. Should have looked that up before we started. Yeah, no, I don't. I have no idea. But it just hit me right when I said the title. Um, I uh, <laughs> I hate it. Yeah, that's why I did it because it's totally after three years of drought and dry and grasshopper scourges and cracked earth and low yields and everything else negative and sad you can think of to do with hay. This year was a complete total turnaround like everything came back everything came out of the drought and away we went you're having a heyday i just looked up the definition of it <laughs> the period uh -huh. of one's greatest popularity vigor or prosperity oh yeah so i, I think that uh that title is fitting it's fitting yeah so you know you start out that video just uh it looks like a little bit of drone footage maybe yeah, just uh, show, watch the tractor. Some really, some really nice, pretty shots of the of the hay fields and everything. You're driving that that orange tractor, Kubota. The big orange. What do you the think? Kubota. What do you think of Kubota? You know, ninety nine percent of the time, I love them, but when I find something that I don't love, I really don't love it. Like it'll just be a little thing, and it's probably a, this is the first big you know, big tractor Kubota has made. Uh, and I think there's probably some design things I would, I would hope they've changed, but I love it. Runs good. Lots of power. You know, it's way, way, the reason we bought it, it's way, way, way cheaper than a John Deere or a case. Um, and we don't put a ton of hours on our equipment. So it made sense to buy one and try it out. And I, I, like I say, I like it 99% of the time, but the one time that I don't, Whatever the issue is, it really bothers me. So you, really the other big tractor you guys have is a case, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Do you like that a hundred percent of the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, so. I don't think there's anything about that one that I don't like. So the Kubota, ninety-nine percent of the time. The case, hundred percent of the time. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But, so, but for the price difference, it's probably worth the one percent still that you were like. Like I'll like I'll give you a little example. The the engine oil filter, it's positioned in a way it's 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 horizontal on the side of the engine instead of vertical. And I've never seen that before. Everything's vertical, and this is horizontal. So when you when you pull it off, there's nothing you can do to keep oil from just running down. I mean, you can drain the filter out, punch a hole in it, and drain it. But even when you unscrew it, inevitably. There's still oil that comes out of the hole where the filter goes. It just runs down the whole side of the engine and drips down, you know, all over the frame. Hmm. And, and you're like, this is something I don't understand with tractors in general, new, new equipment. A farm tractor is like a big old thing, right? And they just go out in the big open fields. Like there's a lot of room out there, right? So why do manufacturers, and this is all manufacturers, why do they insist on cramming everything in between and in under the hood so tight that it's you almost can't get to any? It's just like one big ball of engine and wiring filters. And that machine spends its entire life in the most wide open of spaces. That's I mean, this is almost all tractors. And but yet they're like, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna utilize every time we're gonna make this so compact. That, you know, if you ever do need to do anything to it, you know, you're going to have a bad day. Have you but ever, no sense. have you ever, uh, the, the distributor there in Great Falls where you got your tractor, have you ever yeah. asked them about that filter? If they, if they have, if they have uh, a trick, I, I did ask, I did ask the tech and I think his response at the time was like, yeah, that's a weird design. Oh, so there's, um, because, you know, Kubota has been making diesel engines 
for people, right? For other, I mean, for for a lot of other companies, they'd make their engines in it. It almost makes made me when you said that made me think there's a little button somewhere that does something magic that you don't know about, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> right? Because I've been designing yeah. it for so long, so it just is that's weird. Well, and if this is what's weird is on their skid steers on their small engines, they are more of a vertical stance. It's just this great big. This is one of their first huge engines they've made, and I mean it runs great. It's got a lot of power, but anyway, just mm. just back to the point of it. There's just things like that. So once I'm just sitting here and the old, the engine's just getting covered in oil, I'm like, ah, why? You know, mm. come on. And it's all because they wanted to really make it super compact. I gotcha. But um, but yeah, overall, I give it a, I give it an A. And people always ask that. And I, I say for the for the massive sixty, I think at the time it was like a sixty thousand dollar fifty or sixty thousand dollar price difference. Oh, for an like, equivalent oh. John Deere case or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Deere was the highest, and then the case kind of was in between. But you know, one thing that I I all of my machinery is Kubota. Um, uh-huh. I I've had uh, I just started there. Well, no, I didn't start there. I, I looked around. When I got a skid steer first, that was the first thing I really got. And they just had a, a, a little better deal. Everything just lined up a bit, a little better with them. So I, uh-huh. I went with that. And so I haven't really gone anywhere else. But one thing I, I have that has come to mind is this dealership in Great Falls. And it seems like Kubota dealerships generally are a little smaller. Um, right. It's not like a John Deere dealership where you're selling you know, lawnmowers all the way up to these, you know, five or six hundred thousand dollar combines yeah i mean they yeah kubota they're smaller and they sell sell skid steers and tractors maybe an excavator although i do this place in great falls i do see they have they've had some hay rakes and some big round balers out there i wonder what those kubota yeah, round are doing they're branching out i would love to demo and try some equipment for them some someday but my but anyway uh because they don't sell a huge giant range of farm machinery i feel that their customer service especially repair type stuff is a little more responsive and tailored you know <laughs> it's funny you brought that up because i thought the exact same thing and we're we're 120 miles from the dealership and i've never felt high and dry like anytime there's been an issue they've always they've always been over backwards to take care of it Oh, way, way more so than our local case in John Deere. Well, and well, I looked at it as I mean, I've got a, I've got a sixty horsepower tractor, not, not anything significant. If I got, if I had a sixty horsepower John Deere or case, and I have a problem <laughs> with it, and we're in harvest season, and the farmers that are buying a million dollars of combines every couple of years. I think I'm way <laughs> down on the list of repair work, which yeah. is which is what I really like with this. This I think that's another part of this Kubota dealership not having this big range of um, farm machinery is that they they have I think very good priced machinery that yeah. works really really well, and um their and their response from the you know their customer service or their repairs or you know just the dealership in general is is very impressive to me. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, yeah. when people ask about Kubota's, our experiences, yours and mine, have been very positive. Yeah, yeah, very good. And, and you know, not to say there hasn't been some issues with the tractor, but when there is, they're always quick to please and very happy to to come come quickly. And the warranty on those things—it's like five-year warranty on these machines. Crazy. Yeah. Um, Really, really good coverage. The, the, I would say you probably you might agree with this. If, to, for people that are wondering on this, they're just a little more basic. Like they're just a little more basic and not quite as plush on the inside, mm. you know, than some of the other brands. But well, let again, me ask, let me ask you this: then. price difference. Rooster has a deathly fear of the Kubota, uh-huh. doesn't he? <laughs> he doesn't like running it because it's too. It feels too advanced for him. Yeah, because yeah, it, well, it's, it's it's they've got a big control screen, and he sees the computer screen, just like whoa, no. But he runs he he so he enjoys the case. He enjoys the case because there's no computer screen in it. Okay, so 
So when it when you say I mean, bare bones, I'm going to say that yeah, I'm going to say the trim, like the seat, gotcha, the molding, the plastics and stuff inside. They're just they're just a, a step down. You can just tell the plastics a little a little thinner, a little more chintzy type plastic on the interior. Um, but the technology is all there. Like this thing has a for those of you that know, it has a CVT transmission. Um, it has electric over hydraulic flow controls, touchscreen flow controls. So you can adjust the flow to your hydraulics, you know, on the computer. Some people like that. Some people hate that. It's, you know, more complication when things go, when things go, you know, the other direction at some point. But, but uh, yeah, no, I, I'm all for it. And I've put up a lot of hay with this one of ours. I think we've got probably 1500 hours on it, which is not a lot of hours in the tractor, but um, it's all been basically putting up hay. All right, uh, the John Deere Swather gets some. Yeah. So this this Swather, I think, kind of has a a story, doesn't it? You guys put this together a little bit. It does, yeah. So I like trading and I like swapping and you know doing those kinds of deals. Um, and oh, I'm trying to keep this short. So in a nutshell, I was doing some work with a, you know, with a, one of my one of my guys, one of my truckers. And he was exiting the ranching world and getting more full time into trucking. And uh, anyway, we were we were kind of going different directions with our trucking businesses, not not in a bad way. Um, we were all on good terms, but he was getting he was branching into a different. He was getting old enough that he didn't want to haul cows anymore. And uh, we had a couple. Oh, I think it was some maybe some mechanic and stuff that we'd done together where. You know, I think I'd covered some mechanic and bills for him to help him get on the road or something. So there was a little, uh, a little money owed there and about the time that he was getting out of ranching. And so I was like, Hey, instead of paying me back cash, why don't, uh, why don't I give you some cash? And then the balance of what you owe me can, uh, or, um, this swather was worth more than what he owed me. And so I said, I'll give you some cash and then we'll wipe the, the debt free and uh, i'll grab this little pull type mower and uh, this disc bind and so that's what we did and uh we got all squared up and i went and got that thing and um i, I think this is a family thing that we have i don't know if it's a blessing or a curse I, i'd say it's, in my mind it's a blessing but i feel like we're always trying to come up with ways to do things just a little bit quicker like if you could shave up like do you remember unloading corn with dad when he'd backhaul corn and old in blue too. And we were always trying to think of ways that you could get that corn unloaded just a little bit quicker by positioning the truck a little different. Or, um, do you remember when we shovel out the nose and instead of using the, the little trap in the bottom, we'd actually open the whole entire yeah. trap door so you could shovel stuff out even quicker. Just little things like that. We're always, you know, trying, or when you're fencing, you try to create a system that's quicker just more streamlined. So that's what I wanted to do with haying. I realized that we had the manpower that if we could run two swathers, then we could knock the hand out that many days faster. And time is the one commodity, man, that you just you can't, it's limited. You can't make any more of it. Each day just has so much time in it. And so time is, whether it's time is to do other projects or time to be, you know, with family or whatever, the quicker you can get things done, the quicker you can move on to the next deal. So, so that pull, the pull behind that you were pulling behind the Kubota, that, that's a John Deere disc bind. And um, yep. you, in your video, you talked about it, it like alfalfa, it cuts well, but if you get into some, some grasses, sometimes it doesn't cut as good. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, and we got some feedback on that. I was just going to say that. Did you see that you someone, someone in one of the comments, I believe said, drop the PTO speed. And yeah. That's grass and I, better. And I, that surprised me. I, I had, would never have thought of that. It'd be interesting to try. And also I think I realized to cut grass, I need to just do full blade replacement. Someone else mentioned mm. replace all the blades like fresh, fresh each year and you'll have way better luck. So that's another thing I should do. Yeah. Uh, and then the swather that, that rooster drives, which is also John Deere. Is that another one that you guys kind of piece together? Yeah. Another weird deal. We had the, our neighbor our, it was our neighbors and they had just rebuilt 
the entire cutting apparatus, the whole header on it had been rebuilt. And uh, they have an older gentleman that used to come help during hang season. And the old timer was out there cutting with it one day and, and overheated the engine and uh, seized it up, blew up the engine. And so uh, anyway, we had a mechanic friend of ours that had heard of this and was working on the machine and was like, hey, I think you can get a pretty good deal on this. We just rebuilt the header. And now it's going to have a new motor in it. And I think they'd sell it pretty reasonable because they, they want to put the money towards their new machine. And so we were able to, um, to swoop in there kind of and get that gathered up and basically get a new machine. I mean, it's got a, the engine in it now is, I think, maybe three years old. And three of those years have been drought years, you know. <laughs> so it doesn't have very many hours on the engine. And the header's in pretty good shape. And those were the, some of the best, that series of Swather kind of, kind of, in fact, it's not even arguably, it's, what's the, what's the opposite of arguably? <laughs> I don't know. There, there's no question that's the best Swather that John Deere ever made. Hmm. Everyone just loves them. And uh, so that's why we grabbed it. So yeah, we ended up with two John Deere mowers and, and we knock it out in a hurry. We get her knocked down super fast. So I got one last uh, comment, my my comment, not a comment from your your comments on the video. Anyway, you yeah. were complaining a little bit of the greenhouse effect in the cab of that tractor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you know you you can save a pretty good chunk of money by getting that thing cabless. Yeah. <laughs> that'll take care of, that'll take care of the greenhouse effect maybe we should do a little conversion on it and get the old sawzall <laughs> oh. you know we grow up we never grew up i mean we grew up never driving a tractor with a cab on it right so when i got my and, it, and if and if there was a tractor that we had with a cab ever that we borrowed the air conditioning never worked so it was even worse to have a cab on it yeah well i so i when i got my my most recent 60 horsepower Kubota, there is the option for the cab on it. And I just got it without cause it, it cheapened it up by a few thousand bucks. And I thought, and I just thought, Oh, we've never had a cab on any of ours. So this last winter, there was times where I was out feeding where it was like, I think we were like 25 or 30 below zero with no wind. But just the, I was just driving through the field like four miles per hour unrolling bales. Just that little bit of wind chill from, from <laughs> that tractor. I'd have to go in and put like my ski goggles on and wrap, you know, a, a, a big thing around my face because it, it was so cold. So oh, I, yeah, I, I, um, I uh, wouldn't. It's those moments when you're out there freezing to death that you go. Man, I don't care how much that cab would have cost. I should have done it. I would have paid any money right now for it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so, um, so you talked about the twenty-year cycle of, of drought that seems to be pretty consistent around there. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely a pattern. So when I when I hear you say that, it, I have a question: Is why if you have twenty years to drought-proof? your fields and your pastures why do you think that people don't do everything they can to drought proof themselves if they have 20 years to prepare for it um i think that we do um i think that we do drought proof is where i would differ um we always i mean there's only so much hay you can keep on hand you know because it doesn't stay good forever but when you have a drought i mean the first, you can kind of get through two years of it, year, year and a half of it, you know, all right with your reserves because you have enough extra hay stored up. But you get into that, it's hard when you get into that, that later second and third year where you just, you know, what do you, what do, you do, I guess? Um, well, I guess. I guess more what I'm saying is not stockpiling hay, but, but increasing, for instance, organic matter in the soil. So there's a, a stat that, that seems to be pretty, pretty legitimate that a 1% increase in soil organic matter will give you 20,000 gallons more water holding capacity per acre. 
Right. So and now, of course, you, you have to get the water to be able to take advantage of that. But I mean, snow has been plentiful at times during the drought. So when all that snow melts off, if you're able to increase organic matter and 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 protect your soils, you can hold a lot more water in there. And I'm not saying this is not you specifically, but why do you think ranchers and farmers in general, if they don't if they have 20 years to prepare for a drought? I mean, you. Yeah, I I feel like you're coming off like these guys are all a bunch of idiots for not. Like, why why do you just sit by and wait for the next drought to happen? Like, that's really dumb. I it's tough. I mean, that's a lot of. You're you're right. I can I completely agree with your the techniques and the the studies of moisture retention. But I mean, how do you do that on thousands of acres? Well, pasture. And, and we just like, yes, you get snow, but, uh, I, I mean, well, where you have, where you have irrigation over there. Well, no, I've heard you. So I, I, you've heard me reference Gabe, you've heard me reference Gabe Brown in North Dakota before. Right. And he, even he gets double the moisture that we do. So how many inches of rain do you guys get a year? We get like the 16 would be a good year. In the drought years, we were down to like eight, seven to eight. Okay. So I think where he's at, he gets, he gets about 19 inches a year on, yeah, on average. Because he's around Bismarck. Good, they get a lot. So he would argue that he's drought-proofed his property over a couple decades. Uh-huh. So based off of what other people have done, it seems to, to be something if there's a a concerted effort and commitment to it that it can be done. But I don't, I mean, I drive by, I mean, you drive by everywhere around here and you see people doing no such thing. Uh I mean, they leave their fields bare through the winter, all the topsoils blown away. There's nothing to protect the soils. There's not not concerted effort to increase the ability of that soil to, to hold moisture. So, and you're in a you're in a yeah, and you're in a farming setting too versus a ranching setting. As far as when you're talking about leaving soils bare and whatnot. Well, yeah. But like you, I mean our pastures and stuff aren't left bare, like we don't bear off our pastures or anything, you know. But yes, I understand what you're saying there. But ranches can do things to increase their water holding capacity. For their right. right. So which makes them more drought resistant. Right. No, no. hundred percent agree. So what I'm so asking I'm, so is I'm how not, do you how do you go out over thousands of acres of pasture and how do you increase like Gabe Brown does like massive farming. So it would probably be you'd have to invest in a lot of farming techniques as a ranch. Yeah, but to, he runs a lot of cattle too. No, I know he does. And so he did it's but, all based from his farm, correct? Yep. And so he he farms but he when he said that his all of his capacity really went up was when he incorporated cattle into his, into his uh, whole program. Mm-hmm. So his, his big thing was, was animal impact was when everything really took off for him. But yeah. I'm not, I, didn't, I don't want you to feel like I'm coming off an accusation against you. I'm, I just yeah, well, see I that in general. Would come out, I think that's how it would come across. The question would come across to everybody listening. I think that that is dealt with this debilitating drought but everyone that's and, dealt and with I'm it everyone that's dealt with it area. can give you I bet everyone that's dealt with it can give you no concrete things they've done the past 20 years to drought proof themselves right so I mean what what do you do you know like what I guess that's probably not a that's a, probably a whole huge series of episodes but yes yes but, I think it is but also I feel like I it, it's hard for me to say people should do this and people should do this because I don't have I don't have any situation where I can actually experience it for myself I know because you have that magical little thing that comes out of the mountain well even without irrigation even without irrigation (laughs) but I know I've got like 50 acres so I, I can't but I do read a lot and there's a lot of people who have massive acreage who have done big things to drought proof themselves. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be fun to read on. Cause I like, like I've been out here doing NASCAR 
and I go out to Taylor's farm and he does like this, all this amazing rotation rehabilitation and has added so much, uh, you know, to his place to drought proof it. In fact, it's starting to get dry here for him and he's way ahead of everybody else as far as his pastures go um, because of that. And it's, I don't know. And then I, you know, Gabe Brown stuff, he's, he's got an amazing thing and, and I love what he does. But I know he's in a, I mean, I know because I drive through there all the time. He's in the Dakotas, the Dakota moisture belt, which is unbelievably different growing conditions. And as far as what just their growing season and grow things we could dream of. But I like, I, I wish, I mean, I would love to know what to do or, or to see someone that, that has done it in our, in our realm, I guess, like in our, this dryland area has no irrigation. In a, in a drought year, you're going to get eight inches of rain total for the the whole year. You might only get three to four through the spring and summer. Is that counting your moisture from the winter too? Yeah, that's snowpack, that's snow and everything. So eight and, inches. You know, most of that, half of that probably is going to be spring and summer rain. Okay. So you're like, how do you, you know, like in that, it's just such an extreme. Like, how do you, how do you make any? even super organic, like will your organic stuff survive on three inches of rain through the spring and summer or will all that micro stuff just get roasted out? And, you know, I'm sure there's somebody, I'm sure there's some literature on it out there somewhere. No, I think there's a lot when you get into permaculture stuff Uh and permaculture seems to be much more implemented in, in uh, extreme dry areas where they're trying to, get every drop of moisture but, uh-huh. but even like like on all the hills you know on on a ranch all the hills cutting in swales to all the hills to slow down so you're not having any runoff that everything is being held you know we've had a lot of uh honestly australian and european uh youtube people have commented on that through i remember through the drought years talking about some of those techniques that they that they use. So it's probably just something I need to use the next 10 years to start researching and, you know, I seeing think, what works and what doesn't work I think and what best, applies to our area. I think the best answer to my question is if a rancher, not you, but ranchers, farmers that know that it's a 20 year cycle, why aren't they preparing for it? Well, mm-hmm. because we're humans and we know, even though we know stuff's coming, none of us do anything. That's true. And that's very true. I mean, people are the same way with like people are this way with their finances too. Like yep. they know their decisions are going to cause disastrous consequences down the line, and they just I want it, so I'm uh, buying it. I don't think it like it doesn't matter what the subject it's is. Humans. It's, it's yeah. because we're humans. I think that's I think that's uh, um more where I was kind of going with it is that it's just um we're humans, even though we know things are coming, we don't. But it, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing you brought up and a good thing to, even though it can be slightly offensive and like uncomfortable to be like, yeah, no, this is a failure. To not prepare for it would be a failure because it has, it has just cycled. Like I, we've talked about, you know, of course, roosters like, it won't matter. I'm not going to be around in the next drought cycle, but it's definitely something that I'll have to deal with. So yeah. I think it would be good to, to try to shrug off the human nature. And we can cut all of this out too. If it feels like you feel like I was coming after you, I wasn't trying to come after you. I was just, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 all right. no, it's good. I, it's all good. Um, oh, another question I had is you were, you'd pointed out designated pastures on, on your video. You were, you were, talking about some areas as being designated pastures and some more hay fields. Oh yeah. Okay. It, the designated pastures, why are you guys cutting the designated pastures? Um, they, they just, they grew up so well, like I, for whatever reason, they just exploded in growth and they were, they were producing more hay than some of the areas that have been, you know, historically hay fields. So, and and another reason we're trying to get all the hay gathered up that we possibly can this year 
so that we have enough to get us through the next two or three years because we're going to have to tear out a lot of our old ground. Oh, yeah. Because the drought just scorched it out and we lost a lot of, a lot of plant life um, that we need to get. That we need to get reintroduced and re recultivated, and, and uh, when you do that, you lose production, right? You're tearing out your productive fields to turn them into something that's not going to be as productive for two or three years until they're reestablished. So you need you need to have all the surplus feed that you can to cover for that, you know. Okay. So so we did shrug in cutting the designated pastures. We shrug. We did shrug off. The human nature I tried to prepare a little bit for <laughs> for next year <laughs> okay i got you there odd uh, porcupine you, you got a, some good uh good footage of that porcupine oh yeah yep uh, that was a we i mean we've talked about porcupines we don't need to get real into that but seeing that it brought me up uh it brought up something uh one of our listeners sent a message on um on instagram and said when you get porcupine quills in you or in an animal that they're hollow and they, when you pull them out, that hollowness creates like a vacuum. And so if you cut the quill before you take it out, it releases that vacuum in it. And so it's not as painful taking it out. Huh. Inter- huh. Interesting. I've never huh? heard of that. Yeah. I, have, I haven't either. I hope I don't have to <laughs> any reason to try it, but, right. but, uh, but I, I guess that makes sense. I've, I've held and, and had porcupine quills not in me, but that I've, I've got off dead ones or whatever. And yeah. you know, they're really light. They are, that they are hollow, but then, yeah. yeah, I guess that makes sense. So yeah, next time the dog or the horse gets into one. You try that little yeah. trick, huh? Yeah. Um, so let's see, uh, a couple other questions that I, that came up on the comments. Um, you're, when you're greasing, you're using lock and lube. Um, that lock and lube uh, grease yeah. lock. I guess that's, yep. I don't know what exactly it's called. Grease lock or the Zert lock. Yeah. How do you yeah. like that thing? I like it. I came across them. I don't remember where the ad was or what, but I came across them quite a few years ago and I ordered, I got real excited about it because it seemed kind of cool and out of the norm. And so I ordered a bunch of their products, including some grease. A couple of buckets of grease I ordered from that company as well. I think they're based out of Oklahoma, and uh, I think. And uh, anyway, I've I've liked it. They send you the they send you the the the, the little grease. I don't know what you call it, the coupler, the grease coupler. They send you the coupler with a little rebuild kit. So when it does start getting wore out and starts seeping, you can rebuild the tip of it, uh, put new seals in it, and you're good to go again. But basically what it is, it's a little, um, it's for when you're greasing these grease points, sometimes the coupler comes off or if you don't have it on square, you'll go to give it grease and a bunch will just squirt out the side of the coupler. And so this, this kind of locks onto the grease jerk and gives you a little better grab and keeps things a little cleaner and gets more of the grease into the bearing and less outside of the bearing, which, you know, is wasted. And uh, so, yeah, no, Lock and Lube, I, I recommend them. And, and they're like the first one. There's like a million knockoff brands and stuff making making things out there now. But the uh, old Jay, I believe, even is the guy's name. Jay with Lock and Lube does all their stuff. And uh, it's good. good. I like them. But, uh, full disclosure, that's what I use on for all my greasing, too. I have you do too. Yeah, I am. Um, I. I love we, just locking that thing talked. on and then that was just, yeah, that, that was, was separately. Random. Yep. I love yeah. being able to just lock onto that thing and then use both of my hands for, for other stuff and try instead of trying to hold one on there. You know, uh-huh. sometimes you get one that is kind of a tight one and you're, you're, you're trying to push and hold it by hand onto the dessert as hard as you can. And, right. And yeah. Still yeah. Pushing. This thing, you lock it on there and man, it, yeah, love it. Yeah. You know, the real, the real good thing to take from all this is that, Everybody knows that we actually maintain our equipment. We do maintenance. We grease our equipment. That's pretty rare in the agriculture world. Most uh, most egg folks aren't known for their maintenance <laughs> prowess. Yeah. Um, uh, another question asked: Why the your cuts were so wobbly 
you know, in those videos, I think what they're referencing is um, instead of nice straight lines like you see in big rectangular hay fields, yeah. your, your cuts are kind of wobbly. Yeah, that's because we have all these drainages. The There's all these different little snaky drainages that drain through the ranch. And you have to cut in between the drainages. They're, they're deep enough that you can't cut through them or cut over them. And so when you do your outside rounds, you have to, the outside you know, cut on the field, you have to follow that drainage and it's not square. So you could make it square, but then you'd leave a bunch of hay behind. And so we, uh, we do those outside rounds. I have learned that if a person wanted to, if the, if it bothered, it doesn't bother me, but if it bothered a person, you can make your outside rounds and then go make a straight cut up through the middle of the field and then work your way to the edges from the straight line that you cut through the middle. I've never cared to do that because these drainages are so narrow. By the time you make your straight cut, you'd make a few passes and you'd be over on the edges already having to clean up all the, the squiggles. But yeah, that's why. All right. Uh, why don't you ever do silage? Put like, like wet stuff in the big bags, essentially. Uh, just don't have a need for it. We, with our, with our climate, we don't have any trouble getting the hay to dry. Uh, that's why a lot of people make silage is because they can't actually dry out their forage. It's too wet, their climate, they get too much rain. And so they can just put it up wet. And uh, we also don't have a feedlot where we need to feed wet silage. Um, we can feed dry chopped hay with, uh, with grain. And so it's just not what we need for our, for our system. I've, the only place I've ever seen silage fed is at dairies. You know, you have a lot more experience hauling into feedlots. Do you see silage fed at feedlots? Yeah, mo the reason why most people do silage is because you can, there's certain plants that you can grow that'll, that'll make way more forage, way more tonnage. For example, corn. Corn will grow like, what, 10 feet tall out in the Midwest? And, I mean, there's a lot of green material there, right? Like, plant stock, leaves, there's just a lot of material. And so the ground can produce tons of tons of that. We cannot grow corn where we live. We have no irrigation. We don't have enough rain. Um, so if we grow corn, it's only going to grow, you know, three feet tall. So feedlots and stuff, they can grow corn or a few other, few other uh, sorghum. Sometimes sorghum Sudan, they'll grow. Um, Sometimes they'll do triticale that'll grow super, super tall. And they chop it all up wet and they put it into a huge pile and it just makes this monstrous pile of feed. And then they um, they cover it over and, and that cover keeps it good until wintertime when it's time to start feeding. Okay. But, but it's just for because they can put up more feed. If, if you're in an area where you can grow a lot of forage, like you can't, you can't go swath corn you know and, and try to bale it up essentially when it's green so it's just a way you can you can utilize those high volume forages got it um and then another question was do you sell the hay or do you feed it to your own stock uh we feed most of it sometimes we'll sell if we have a bunch but after the drought we'll make this might this is part of your prepare for next time Unless we're in a financial bind, I don't really care to ever sell hay again. Um, unless the market was nuts. But if the market's nuts, it's because <laughs> there's a drought and we're probably not going to have much hay. So I would rather, moving forward, keep the hay or the surplus. And if we want to get rid of some, maybe buy some cattle, do some projects. Or maybe you buy some junky cattle and, and use that surplus hay to feed the cattle and try to use that to make money rather than just selling the product itself. You know, and back to the 20 year preparation, there is, mm -hmm. uh, this isn't my own idea. I've read this from other people who think it's crazy to sell hay off of your own property because you're taking mm -hmm. all of your organic content and letting someone else's property have it. <laughs> Giving it to somebody so, else. Whereas if you feed that hay and then you, uh, you know, you feed it out in the pastures where the cows are, you know, all the manure from the cows, or if it's in the barn and you go out and spread it, you're, you're keeping, keeping that on your property. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's a good point. Actually, that makes me realize too, something else we have done to mitigate feed problems for drought, not pasture problems, but 
Um, we did get set up to be able to feed some grain. Um, when you can feed a little bit of grain with your hay, it makes your hay go, stretches your hay supply because you can feed less hay if you feed a few pounds of grain. And uh, we've actually started now, I think we're going to every year uh, incorporate some oats or corn as a little dietary supplement to, to allow us to use way less hay than we would have in past years. Um, another another question. Uh, last year, you guys were looking at leasing some uh, fish, wildlife, and parkland by the river. Yeah, and yeah, so that was a lot said, of YouTube content we may have done there. So, someone asked if if you're still doing anything with that. No, I let it all go. It turned basically it turned into such a mess. Uh, in a nutshell, it it had some needs, and the government wasn't willing to put forth the you know put forth what it needed and without without the the stuff that it needs which is a lot of work and irrigation equipment it's just not worth the hassle for the time and money spent going down there so i told them if they ever get serious and want to um incorporate the recommended equipment i'll be the first guy on your list sign me up <laughs> but until then there's just no there's no point Okay, last last uh, viewer question that I, I picked out here. Someone asked what the altitude is where you live. Do you know? Yeah, I think it's about 40, 42, 4,500. So, I, so I, I looked up Lewistown, I looked up Grass Range. And mm-hmm. Lewis, it says Lewistown is 3,900 and Grass Range is 3,400. Okay, so we'd be a little closer to the Lewistown side. So you're going to be close you know like you said close to four yeah, yeah I, i'm horrible I, I would have no idea what the altitude is where we live you I, know i think remember it used to be on that sign right out on your way when you'd walk to the school you used to there see that all the her. time with their with little small towns yeah. welcome to whatever yeah. altitude i don't see that as much anymore yeah small a little nugget in, in nebraska all the towns do it it's their main sign and i used to always think it was the population and i'm like there's not three thousand <laughs> some people here and then i realized it was elevation huh i when people find out i'm from montana as i've lived elsewhere i cannot even tell you how many people ask what the altitude is where i'm at i i have no idea it's actually elevation right elevation altitude because altitude yeah elevation elevation what's the difference between altitude and elevation altitude is how high you are above the elevation Oh, interesting. Okay. Elevation is how high you are above the sea level. All right, man. I learned something very strong today. Man, that's a nugget. So so speaking of little nuggets, I'll leave you with this. This is a, uh, this is something you you haven't, you can go back and look for this. It's a kind of a, like a blooper, I guess you could find all that drone footage you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Any, anytime I'm, getting drone footage of the tractor doing anything or of semis driving or any of that, I am simultaneously driving the equipment and flying the drone at the same time. So if you look, if you look really close and zoom in or whatever on those shots, anytime I go by the tractor, if you look close, you'll see my knee is up on the steering wheel and my I'm using both my hands on the flight controls for the drone. <laughs> you'll be able to tell that I'm kind of trying to do both or if you watch real close sometimes you'll see my tractor gets a little wonky and <laughs> i get a little off the window or something <laughs> if you look real close you can see you'd be like hey he's not driving very good well hey this is what i this fly. is what i think you need to try and do i think you need to try and get the drone right over the tractor and steer <laughs> the tractor by watching the drone screen Ooh. <laughs> like a video game yeah i don't think you could do that that might be kind of a cool yeah. thing to try and do. Like, yeah, like a video game from overhead. You're looking at your screen. I've, I've tried doing that. Like, hold my phone screen up before just to, like, view what you're doing through your phone screen and not through your eyes or, you know, your peripheral or whatever. And, like, try to try to ride your bike or do whatever. And it's, it's weird. Like, you don't trust it. And there's no reason not to because pilots trust it all the time. But... <laughs> For some reason, I was just like, whoa, no, that can't be right. It's weird. All right. Well, let's uh, let's end this thing with the 
subject that got by far the most commentary. Oh, yeah? And that's something, I'd never even heard this term before, a man bun. What is that? Oh, I totally forgot. I've never even heard, there's all this commentary about a man bun. I don't even, what is a man bun? I've never heard of that. It is, yeah, like what's the difference between a man bun and a woman bun? No, I just don't even know what a man bun is. Like, I don't, what is that? It's when a man has long hair and he has to tie it up and place it in a wrap on top of his head so that he can see where he's going or so that he doesn't have it dangling about his face while he's working on things. Uh, I just don't remember. Do you, do you call, do you, do you use that term for yourself? No, I just say I need to put my hair up. Okay. Then since I want to say if, if anyone ever uses the word man bun to me, I think they might have disqualified themselves from any future attention from me. Yeah. So it's the weirdest. I was curious about your take on this. Yeah, let's hear it. It is the it's the it's the weirdest. It's a word that is just weird to me. Like right. a, a weird word. Obviously, I have long hair and I have to put my hair up. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that um, that got a lot of a lot of commentary on on the comments. There was. was it was. Uh, I, I am so. I tell you. There are two things that drive me nuts on comments. Like almost like almost to like, you know what? I should just I might consider just blocking you from the channel. And it's when I get seatbelts comments like real professional, you're not even wearing your seatbelt. Like if they catch you a shot of you in your semi <laughs> without the seatbelt on, you call yourself a professional. Where's your seatbelt? As if Wearing your seatbelt is what makes you a professional trucker and, and comments about quote unquote man buns. It just gets under my skin so bad. Like I start to type like a reply and I'm like, no, no, just let it go. Let it go. And then I'll start to type something. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Just let it, let it go. So when I, some man buns. when I would, so the prof, you call yourself a professional so this brings to mind when I was in dental school, uh-huh. the the amount of times that the word professionalism or being professional was was used to try and shame you into something. <laughs> That's what it is. Oh, uh, it like like the word professional or professionalism means absolutely nothing. To, in fact, if someone uses that word puts me in a frame of mind that that I don't I that they're even using it I don't know who I don't know if they have anything else to offer me I don't know if it's I have professional isn't it isn't it true that when they say professionalism they're always referring to just like neat and clean they're like like this neat and clean function well I I've I I found that people use that to extend into any subject or situation where they feel the need to reprimand you in some way. So that's what they go to. That just isn't professional or show some professionalism. Uh, Okay. Whatever that means. Okay. Yes. Whatever. Because we're in my, in my mind, like, like uh, I, we just got done with this race yesterday and our, our car chief uh, dude's a wizard. He's a, he's a nephew of Dale Earnhardt and dude like smokes Marlboro cigarettes and is just, you know, he's just, him. does his thing, wears baggy pants and just, I mean, just does his thing, but is an absolute flawless, meticulous wizard. Guy's a total professional in his, in his craft, but you'd look at him and be like, oh, come on, man. Like. You need to show some professionalism towards the racing industry. It's like, no, 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 no. This guy's a pro. Whatever he's doing, however he's doing it, he's a pro. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, that word is that word has been used so much to uh, to feel. people use it like 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 as if it like as if it hurts. Like I'm gonna hurt them. It's like, ooh, yeah. burn. Yeah, ooh. And you got yeah. me. It's like a really preppy burn. Like, yeah. Um, Show some professionalism. You call like yourself a professional. Like, a, like uh, 
Well, not, no, I really don't. I get paid for what I do. Does that mean professional? I, whatever, but I, I don't even know what that means, but okay. Oh, I, I envision like a guy with like a tennis sweater wrapped around his shoulders, you know, like <laughs> reprimanding you about being professional. And then <clears throat> on the seatbelt thing, I'll either get like that where like you call yourself a professional or <clears throat> they take the like the loving route where they're like, you know, where you see Bill, I really care about you. You're like, what? That's a weird, that's a weird way to, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Ew. Like, like I want to see your next video. Please wear a seatbelt. Like, okay. It's like, it's like telling the, when you're in the, this is my honest thought. And this is an answer for people as to why. Okay. When you're driving a semi, and I know this isn't always the case. When you're driving a semi, you are the hammer. Anything else in front of you is the nail. So it's like <clears throat> telling the hammer, you know, put a pad on the, on, the, on the head of your hammer because I don't want you to get hurt when you're pounding nails. <clears throat> That's kind of what it's like in the semi in the case of, you know, incidents and accidents. Like you hit a moose in a car, <clears throat> you know, you might have some problems. You hit a moose in the semi, you know, you're kind of the hammer. Yeah, that's... All right, the very, the very last thing, and this might not, um, this might not bother you like it bothered me, is um, I do sometimes see comments that says, you know, wear your hair how you want, have your beard, whatever, you know, us livestock haulers accept you, have accepted you. Oh yeah. <laughs> I want to say sorry, boys. Sorry, boys. There's no acceptance needed. Like, <laughs> yeah. You don't understand like, that. I'm not looking. You don't know. It's not that. You know that the royal family in England doesn't need anyone to tell them that they're accepted as royalty. <laughs> they're born into it. Born in. <laughs> I'm born into this world. Like you're, you almost literally were born in a cattle truck. That's true. So, so there's. This is unless you have been raised in a cattle truck, lit literally, not figuratively, but literally raised in literally. a cattle truck. Potty trained in the cattle truck. You are the person who accepts other people in the livestock calling. <laughs> that's great. That's funny. Because I, I, I saw that. I saw that comment. Because I like it. Because it's like you're like coming. You know, that's like a coming to your rescue comment, which I appreciate. But the way you put it like that. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Like when I am live hot calling, I don't need to be accepted into it. I know you're not, these are my words, not yours. <laughs> uh, I think that's like, uh, like our, uh, our father, he never needed acceptance into livestock calling of any sort because that's his life. And he, um, <laughs> so those old, out, those old outlaw, outlaw, you've, you've, it's that, that old outlaw livestock, you're born into it. This is the same reason that I need no, I need no um, acceptance for driving an aerodynamic truck and all that hauling livestock. It's like, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for, I drive a Freightliner Cascadia hauling cattle and I do not need any acceptance for it. But nonetheless, you are accepted. I am accepted. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the sentiment of that comment. <laughs> All right, man. We'll catch you later. All right. See you.